I want to just remind you that uh, this is session two of Sins We Tolerate and appreciate everybody being here uh, again tonight. Many of you I saw when uh, Pastor Wade asked you to raise your hand if you were here last week. A lot of you were here last week. But in case you weren't, like he said, I would encourage you to go back and, and watch and or listen to last week's session just to, to stay caught up. But I would say that the biggest reason why it's hard for us to honestly deal with our sins honestly is because if we're going to deal with our sins that means we have to do something about it it's one thing to talk about it it's one thing to theorize about it it's one thing to come up with uh you know reasons why and boy can boy can we not deal honestly with our sins we are really good at rationalizing our sins right we can rationalize our sin away we're real good at comparing ourselves with other people, aren't we? Because it's super easy to look good. All you got to do is look around in the world today and you can find somebody that, that's not doing near as good as you are and all of a sudden you don't feel so bad about your sin. And so whether we can rationalize and come up with a reason why we did what we did and it makes perfect sense to us, or we compare ourselves to somebody else, convince ourselves our sin's not hurting anybody, it's not doing anybody any harm, a lot of ways that we can not deal with our sin. But if we're going to honestly deal with our sin, that means we have to do something about it. Now, before we start talking about those specific sins that we're going to look at, and uh, a little bit later I'm going to actually show you a list, kind of a preview of, of all the ones we'll be looking at to, beginning tonight and the next four weeks. Before we do that, I want to I spend a big chunk of our time tonight I hate to use the word steps, maybe strategy for dealing with our sin. And what I'm going to give you are, are really seven areas that will serve as a template for, for every one of the subtle sins, the, the sins that we tend to tolerate in our lives. We, as we get to those, it will help us in dealing with those. And so if, you're, if you are a note taker, and we do have some, I don't know if there's any pieces of paper left over there, but there were sheets of paper, I would encourage you to take down these seven things because it will, really will make a good template moving forward as we deal with the sins that we tolerate. As I mentioned, there are seven of these. I don't have them numbered on the slides, but they will show up at, on, as a slide for each one, and you'll be able to see each one and be able to, to write these down. So the very first one, and I would say this is extremely important in dealing with our sins is that we must always apply the gospel. We must address our sins in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you know who John Newton is? Anybody know John Newton? A lot of you do know that name. John Newton wrote a very famous hymn. What was that? Amazing Grace. Many of you know the history of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. John Newton was a captain of a, of a ship that actually brought slaves from Africa to America. And because of his health, he, he, he gave up his captainship and, and all that and decided to, to, to go to school. And in the process along the way, came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then went on to grow in that faith and grow in that relationship and ended up writing Hymns like Amazing Grace that we still sing today. But late in his life, John Newton was quoted as saying this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. 
that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. What a great quote. And I'm no different than John Newton. You're no different than John Newton. You too are a great sinner. You too also, if you are born again, have a great Savior. Amen? Amen. And as we approach these sins in our lives, whether they be not so subtle or more subtle sins, we need to always approach them in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because in Christ, I know that my sins are forgiven, right? In Christ, I know that my sins are forgiven. And if my sins are forgiven, then I can deal honestly with the sin that I'm struggling with in my life. Because I know that because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, His sacrifice, His payment on the cross, taking on the, the, the punishment, the judgment, the wrath that I deserve, that He has taken that on. Because of that, I know that I am forgiven. And because that is settled, that I now have Christ's righteousness imputed, that I can honestly deal with the stuff in my life. I don't have to worry that if I, if I don't get rid of this sin, I might not make it into heaven. Is that, a, is that the case for the believer? No, absolutely not. The case is I know that, that God sees me through Christ's righteousness and because of that, I'm freed up to deal with the sin that I'm struggling with. Whether it's worry or anxiety or selfishness or whether it's impure thoughts or whatever that sin is I'm struggling with, I can deal honestly with it because I know that what really, all that truly matters for eternity has been settled with what Christ did for me on the cross, my repenting and putting my faith and trust in Him. And so it starts with the context of the gospel. And so you might have heard this phrase before. I'm not sure who said it first, uh, but I think it's a really good phrase. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach, your, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And why would that be important? That would be important because we all need to be reminded of the message of God's grace in our lives over and over. I need to be reminded that my sins are forgiven because of what Christ has done for me on Calvary. I need to be reminded that God sees me through the blood shed by Jesus Christ, that he sees that righteousness in me. I need to be reminded of the amazing love that God displayed in sending his son, Jesus Christ, that would compel me to want to live obediently, to want to deal honestly with the sin in my life. A couple of verses that uh, would be great reminders for you if you want to jot these down and, and, and remind yourself of the gospel, be preaching to yourself every day. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I love this because, didn't go up there, did it? There we go. God showed his love for us that while we were yet what? Sinners, at odds against God, in open rebellion against him, in spite of all that, God showed his love for us and sending his son, Jesus Christ. That should compel me to want to live a life that's obedient to him, a life that is honoring to him because of that love that he has for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is another verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who 
knew no sin. Talking about what Christ did for us on the cross. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know about you, but if you spend just a few minutes thinking about just that one verse, and it doesn't do something to your emotions, I'm a little concerned about you. It should really move you to realize what, what Christ has done for you, taking on your sin on your behalf so that you would have his righteousness. The great exchange, right? He took my sin so that I would have his righteousness. Not a bad way to start every day with John Newton's words. I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. Say that with me. I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. All right, that's the first one. The context of the gospel. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit. Depend on the Holy Spirit. We must learn to depend on the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, most of us understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our life and the power that he has for believers. Unfortunately, though, what do we do? We try to do it ourselves, don't we? We try to figure it out on our own. We, okay, I'm struggling with sin in my life. I can get this thing figured out. I, I've got this thing called willpower. I've got this thing called discipline. So we do everything we can on our own to try to figure out the problem. I was thinking about that. It's almost like the person that's, that's, that's trying, to, trying to take on a new diet and they're like, you know, I've been, I've been eating four bags of potato chips every day. I've got to quit eating potato chips. And four bags would be a little extravagant, right? But that person that's, that's trying to cut back on eating potato chips has someone else in the house that they're living with keeps buying potato chips and bringing them in. Have you ever been there where you tried not to eat something but someone else in the house keeps bringing that in the house? I have a, a phrase that if it's in the house, it's in the mouth, right? I have pretty good discipline in my life, but boy, if it's in the house, it's going to somehow usually end up in the mouth. And so it's not the perfect analogy. Here's a better one. And I just thought of this just the other day. How many of you use electric toothbrushes? Anybody in here? Probably most of you do, right? Some of you still at gold school, want to do it yourself. I get it. Uh, probably 20 years ago, roughly, I, I made the switch to, to an electric toothbrush. Haven't looked back. But you know what I still do to this day most times? I'm still just brushing like it's a regular toothbrush. And I catch my, you ever do that too? I catch myself doing that, I'm like, wait a minute. Stop, let, let the brush do the work. Just, it, it's designed to do that. Now, I guess if I had started as a kid with electric toothbrush, I wouldn't have that tendency to wanna do the work myself. But it's kinda like our lives as believers. We wanna try to do the work ourselves. And, and we're gonna talk about our part in the responsibility, but. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers, the great comforter to come alongside, to give us what we need when we need it, the strength, the enlightenment into the scriptures, all of these things. And, I'm, and, and as we think about overcoming this struggle with sin, and, and let's be honest, the struggle with sin is real, right? We can, have laugh, we can laugh about some things every once in a while and kind of joke somewhat, for probably every one of us in this room, in this very moment, you could identify a sin that you're struggling with right now. And some of you, it's a pretty big deal. Some of you, it's a pretty big struggle. It's been an ongoing struggle. It's been a battle. And it's, and it's no laughing matter at all, at all. In fact, it's affecting your life. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your job. It's affecting every part of your life. And so when we talk about 
dealing with our sins. And we're talking about applying it in the context of the gospel and, and, and learning to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to enable us to deal with this. It's a pretty big deal. And I think Paul's answer is perfect. And, and, and Pastor Russell looked at this verse last week and we're gonna look at it again this week and I have a feeling it'll come up in more than just this, this, these first two weeks. But Galatians 5, 16, when Paul says, but I say, walk by the, what? The spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The struggle with sin that we all deal with in a lot of ways can come down to, to the truth that's found right here. And as Pastor Russell pointed out last week, there's not two commands here. There's not two imperatives. There's, there's one and that's, it's walk by the Spirit. And when we do that, the result of doing that is that we won't satisfy or try to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, the sinful flesh. Because we're walking by the Spirit. But it starts with enabling the Holy Spirit or allowing the Spirit to be in control of our lives, not Mark being in control, not you being in control. To walk by the Spirit is to live our lives under His controlling influence. And when we do that, guess what? We won't satisfy or gratify the desires of our sinful flesh. I would encourage you, and, and I'm not gonna put this, this is not a slide, but that verse and then the verses following that, all the way down to verse 26, just write, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. That's a great study this week. Maybe during your time alone with the Lord this week, that would be a great study to look through those verses. You're, we, uh, Pastor Russell looked at the fruit of the Spirit last week. That's included in that passage. Uh, crucifying the flesh, uh, lit, walking in the Spirit, all that is a great passage there dealing with the struggle for dealing with our sin. The third thing. Recognize your responsibility. Recognize your responsibility. We must recognize our responsibility to pursue all practical steps to deal with our sins. Have you ever noticed in our culture today, people don't like to take responsibility for much of anything, do they? If somebody gets caught doing something, they are quick to blame everybody else except coming right out and saying, I did something wrong. I mean, occasionally you might hear that, but everybody wants to blame someone else for what's happened or what they've done. We shouldn't like to take responsibility, but as believers in Christ, we're called to be responsible for what we do. Now, we, we sometimes feel like, well, no, I take responsibility. Well, think about it. Are, are you responsible for, for the choices that you make? Are you responsible for the words that you say? Say, yes, I'm responsible for the choices I make. I'm responsible for the words I say. Are you, are you responsible for the way you respond when someone mistreats you? Yes, yes. We are responsible. We are to take those things as our responsibility. Now you say, well, is this conflict with our walking in the Spirit and relying on the Spirit? Absolutely not. You see, we rely on the Spirit, but we also recognize it's our responsibility to do just that, to walk in the Spirit. And it's our responsibility to live obedient to God's Word as He's revealed it to us, striving to be holy as God is holy. So we must recognize our responsibility in this process. And I, I don't think that's going to be a big struggle for a lot of you, but I just want to make sure you understand that this is, this is part of addressing our sins as we recognize our responsibility. Number four, we need to identify specific sins. Identify specific sins that we may be tolerating in our lives. I'm going to put a list on the screen of the ones we're going to look at over tonight and the rest of the time. And uh, there's, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how many, I didn't count them. 12, 15 on here. And I want you to just, as these come out, I want you just to look at these. We're going to take just about a minute for you to look at these 
and began to think, which ones do I tend to tolerate in my life? Which of these sins do I tend to tolerate in my life? How many of you are like, well, pretty much every one of them up there, right? Like, oh my goodness, yeah. When you put them on the paper like that, it's kind of tough, isn't it? Because we probably, it's not just one or maybe two, but there's probably several that we all struggle with. Now here's what I want to challenge you with as we go through this process, because this fourth thing was to identify the specific sins that you tolerate. I want you to be open. I want your heart to be open. I want you to say, God, show me areas that, that I need to be dealing with in my own life. Because again, why do people struggle with dealing honestly with sins? Because if they have to deal honestly with sin in their life, that means they have to do something about it. And you can't do anything about it until you identify it. And I hope and pray that this will not just be, yeah, I think I got them all. No, which ones are you struggling with the most? Which, which ones are you going to begin praying about? Which ones are you going to begin developing a, a, a plan for addressing specifically as we go through this? Be honest, be open, and be willing to hear the truth as we go through this. The fifth one, memorize and apply appropriate scripture. Memorize and apply appropriate scripture. Maybe one of those ones in there, like for me, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say one of those ones that was on that list a minute ago was selfishness. Selfishness. I struggled with that, that sin of selfishness, especially as it relates to my time. Because sometimes I'll go through a season where I'm extremely busy. And I just, I just want some time for myself. I'm, I'm quite the introvert. Uh, and then sometimes I just, I just want to be by myself or just to be my wife and myself and just, just to have some time. But I have to realize that that's not always God's plan. Sometimes God wants me somewhere else with other people for a particular purpose. One of the passages that, uh, that helps me in dealing with that is Philippians uh, chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What a great reminder that it's not about me. It's not about how much time I want for myself. It's about about how God wants to use me in the lives of others and counting them as more important than myself. Turn over in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. What's unique about Psalm 119? Longest chapter in the Bible, right. And what's the theme of chapter, or yeah, chapter 119 of Psalms? The Word of God. The Word of God, absolutely. But beginning in verse 9, I want to read verses 9 through 16. And notice the focus on the Word of God and how it can be applied in our lives. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can he stay away from sin, in other words? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. So a couple things that we can do with Psalm 119. And in this passage here, first of all, memorizing memorizing. Look at what it says in verse 11. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I remember memorizing this verse in Vacation Bible School as a little kid. <clears throat> and it wasn't stored up, it was what? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And what a great thought that as we memorize God's word, it will enable us to deal effectively with sin in our lives because we have hidden God's word in our heart. Why? So that we won't sin against God. There is power in scripture memorization. Now, I know that for a lot of us, as we get older, it's been a while since we've memorized any scripture, right? Uh, and maybe you're still memorizing. In fact, if you want to keep the brain sharp, that might be one of the best things to do is be committed to memorizing scripture even as you get older in age. Uh, I know you think, well, it's, it's easy for those kids to memorize verses, and yeah, it is a little bit easier when you're younger, but what a great habit to continue as we get older. I constantly am trying to challenge myself to do that more. I'm, I, I definitely don't do it like I should, but I'm grateful I have verses that I have memorized over the years that I can still bring to mind, but I wish I had more, and I bet you wish you had more. So memorizing is one powerful way. But I want to give you something that I think is just as important, maybe almost more important, as meditating. Look what it says in verse 15 of that Psalm 119. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Meditating on God's word, letting it sink deep into our heart, deep into our mind, allowing it to take root in there as we literally nourish our bodies with the word of God. Flip over to Joshua chapter one. I want to look at another verse that talks about, about meditating on the word of God. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. And in this passage, God is, is preparing Joshua for his new leadership role, taking over where Moses had been leading the children of Israel. And along with telling Joshua not to be afraid and to take courage, he gives him this, this incredible encouragement, exhortation on what he should do with the word of God, the book of the law. In verse eight of chapter one of Joshua, it says this, God tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. How often? Day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So you notice that if Joshua was to meditate on the law day and night, if we can meditate on the law, it will enable us to obey the law. Because how can I obey the law if I don't know what the law says? How can I obey God's word if I don't know what God's word says? We have to spend time in the word of God. We have to spend time meditating on God's word so we can, in fact, obey God's word, dealing with those sins in our lives. Number six. Cultivate the practice of prayer. Now, cultivating the practice of prayer has been implied as we've gone through these, these first five, but we really need to think about how important it is that we take a conscious approach to praying about the sins we struggle with in our lives. And there's really two types of, of, of prayers dealing with our sins. Two types of prayers dealing with our sins. And the first prayer is this consistent prayer it's just every day, I need to be in prayer over the sin I'm struggling with. So as God identifies the sin that you tolerate in your life, and maybe you've already identified it and you know, maybe you're already praying about it to some extent. But what would happen if you got serious? 
and you're struggling with a particular sin in your life today, and you know it's at the top of the list of the sins that you're struggling with, and you said, for the next 30 days, I'm going to pray every morning specifically toward this sin and victory over this sin in my life. What would happen? Have you ever been that serious about praying about sin in your life? Where you took 30 days, 60 days to pray specifically every day continually about that sin. That's one way that we can pray dealing with our sins. But here's another, another way that's a very practical way. And it's these short, spontaneous prayers at the moment we're tempted. You know what I'm talking about? Where something pops up. If it's the bag of potato chips again and you quickly say, you know, nope, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna give in to the temptation here to eat the, chi eat the chips. Or maybe it's, a, uh, it's an impure thought and you're gonna say, nope, I'm not, Lord, give me the strength right now. Holy Spirit, fill me with your thoughts. Maybe you start quoting a verse as you pray. It's those spontaneous prayers that we need to be doing throughout the day anyway, but especially when temptation comes, because once that temptation, the, the temptation is not the sin, right? We haven't sinned when we were tempted. But what happens if we leave the temptation out there and we just let it linger and we start thinking about it? Before we know it, we're either acting on it or we're diving in full force with our mind and, it's, and we're, we're in the middle of sin before we know it. But if we can stop it as soon as we recognize the temptation with a prayer, just a quick prayer, because there's something about bringing in the name of Jesus, bringing in God's word, bringing in the, 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 the call for the Holy Spirit to, to be in control of our lives in that moment. They can turn a situation around in the right way in that moment. Cultivate the practice of prayer. And then the last thing, involve another believer in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Involve another believer or two with us and our struggle. Now, when I put this on the screen and I was looking over it, I thought, that doesn't sound right. It sounds like I want to get someone else involved in my sin. <laughs> and I don't mean it that way. You know I don't mean it that way, but maybe you didn't take it that way. But what I mean was, you need to have someone else to, to come alongside you, to be a part of this struggle with you that will give you the mutual encouragement you, that you need, the accountability that you need, the prayer that you need, Imagine just knowing someone's praying for you and the struggle that you're dealing with. Imagine you know somebody's going to call you up at the end of the week and say, Hey, Mark, how'd you do with your selfishness this week? Hey, Jim, how'd you do with your, your thought life this week? Hey, Sally, how'd you do with your pride this week? Whatever it is. You've got some accountability. You've got some prayer. You've got some encouragement when... And you've got just that vulnerability to be able to be honest with someone else about what you're struggling with. And we all need that in our lives. And so it's important that we have somebody that we can bring along, a trusted brother or sister in Christ, that we can share what we're struggling with with them. All right. So here's the review of what we just looked at. All seven. Make sure you got them all down in case you missed them all. Apply the gospel. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Recognize your responsibility. Identify specific sins. Memorize and apply appropriate scriptures. Cultivate and pract the practice of prayer and involve another believer with you. All right. Got another question for you. You don't have to get into groups. Just think about this. What is the root cause of the sins that we tend to tolerate? What is the root cause or maybe the root sin of all other sins in our lives. You ever thought about that? I know I had, the, I'd asked somebody this question and they, they actually a couple of people and several gave me the answer 
of pride. They thought pride was that. And I thought, that's a good answer. That really is, because pride really does lead down the road to a lot of other sins. But I would submit to you that maybe it's not pride, that maybe there's something even more foundational, maybe even in the, that the would be the root to that tree where maybe the, the trunk was pride. I would say it's the sin of ungodliness, the sin of ungodliness. And this is going to be the first of the many sins we're going to look at that we tend to to tolerate. And the sin of ungodliness is a sin that we are all guilty of to some degree. But here's the thing. We don't like to think of ourselves as believers as being ungodly, do we? Ungodly, for most of us, we have in our mind, that's the evil people out there. The people that do the, the really bad things, they're the ungodly ones. We're not the ungodly ones. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm nice to my neighbors. I, I go to church. I read my Bible. I'm, I usually say very kind words to most people. How, how could you consider me to be ungodly? Ungodliness is, are those people out there. Well, let's, let's define ungodly because I think sometimes we might have the wrong definition for ungodliness. So here's a definition. Living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God. Not just stop right there. You can add the rest, God's will, God's glory, or dependence on God. But living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God. Now think about it. You can, you can live a very upright life. You can be respectful to everybody. People can respect you. They can look at you as a kind person, a gentle person, a giving person, a serving person, a caring person, a loving person. And you can still be the most ungodly person in the world because you did it without the single thought of God in your life. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it, I don't think a lot of people think that way. When we use the word ungodly, we usually use it in the, with it being synonymous with being evil and really bad. But ungodly means just leaving God out of the equation. And let's be honest, we do that, right? We do that a lot if we're honest with ourselves, that we live a big chunk of our lives without regard to God and our lives. Think about the last hour. Do a little experiment here. Just the last hour, last two hours of your life. Before you walked in here, I'll say that. The last two hours before you walked in here, did you at any time during those two hours recognize your total dependence upon God? In those two hours before you walked in here, did you acknowledge him as your creator and Lord? In those two hours, did you willfully submit your will to his will? Did you even think about God in the two hours prior to walking in this building? And probably some of you did. I'm not saying you, you didn't. I'm just saying we can go periods of our lives without bringing God into our lives, without thinking about him, without him being the center of our lives. And if that's the case, then we're living the sin we tolerate called ungodliness. Again, we often equate godly living or living a good life with godliness, but that's not the same. Good life is not godliness. And so it's a dangerous place when we begin equating our respectful behaviors with being godly because it's not the same. Being kind, being nice, being respectful, 
is not living a godly life. So what is a godly life? Because if we're gonna talk about the sin of ungodliness, then what would be a godly life? What does that look like? And I wanna give you four areas that can begin to describe, I believe, what is a godly life. What is a godly life? The first, it is living in complete dependence on God. Living in complete dependence on God. The passage is up there. I would encourage you to turn your Bibles to James chapter four because we're gonna hear how James talks about somebody that's making some plans in their life. In James chapter four, verse 13, says this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, is James condemning these people for making plans in their life? No. He's not condemning them for making plans. He's condemning them for making plans and leaving God out of their plans. And we can do the exact same thing in our lives, right? I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. I like to plan things out. I like to have a plan. Uh, I, I can be spontaneous, but I like to plan for my spontaneity. Does that make sense? <laughs> and so, but I like to plan. And so I, of all people, have to be super careful. This is one of those very convicting passages in my own heart, in my own life, because, you know, if, if there's something that needs to be done, I'm ready to put the plan together. But I also always need to put that plan together with the idea that if the Lord wills, this is what we'll do. I don't think, I don't think God's saying never make a plan again. I don't think it's, that's the case at all. But in my planning, I am allowing God's will to be in control. I'm depending on him. God, you direct me. You guide me. You show me. And I'm going to move forward. And if the door needs to be closed, it'll be closed. That was your will. But I need, to, I need to hold loosely to those plans because here's the other thing about planners is we hold pretty tightly to our plan because when things don't go the way we want them to go, we kind of get upset, right? Instead of saying, whoa, 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 maybe, that's, maybe this is the way God wants it to be. I tell you, one of the best things for, for, for someone like me that likes to plan is to, to spend you know, time going on mission trips because they never go as planned as much as I would like for them to. They never do. We, you have to be flexible. You have to learn flexibility. And over years of being on so many different mission trips and being one oftentimes that's planning the mission trip and having the plans and just saying, okay, God, if this is, you know, we have the plan for the day, but if this is not the way it goes, that's okay. I'm good with that. I'm depending on you as I go through this day. What a difference in how we approach our lives. Are we depending on God if the Lord Wills. Let me give you another, uh, another verse up there on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And most of you, maybe, many of you probably have memorized this. If not, you're very familiar with it. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Remember, ungodliness is living with little or no thought of God in our life. 
The second thing, not only do we live dependent upon God, but we live in submission to God. Look up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And so our dependence upon God, but our submission to his rule in our lives. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased, ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How much do you think about God's will and rule in your life? You know, we can be content and avoiding the obvious sins in our lives, but we can kind of overlook these more subtle sins about our responsibility to know and do God's will in our lives. So he's revealed it to us in his word. And I love this passage in Colossians 1.9 because it's such a God-centered prayer that Paul is praying here. He wanted his hearers to be full of the knowledge of God's will. He wanted them to be godly people, not ungodly people. He wanted them to be aware of God's will in their lives. And he prayed, look what he's praying. He prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he wanted them growing in their faith that they would bear fruit in every good work. Now, this prayer is very personal to me. And I've shared this with, with, with some of you before. But I did not know this, but all through high school, while I was going through high school and college, my mom was praying this prayer for me. And she was personalizing it. So she would pray. She would say, I pray that Mark would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that he would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And actually the prayer continues to go on. And she would pray that prayer every day, personalizing it to me. Now, think about it. The toughest years are those high school years and college years for most of them. So I know if you, some of you had it, it was worse at different times, but from the time I was, you know, in my early teens till, you know, early 20s was, 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 was struggle in a lot of ways with temptation and sin and all those things. And here I have a mom, I don't even realize, is praying this for me every day. She told me about it years later. And I'm so grateful. It doesn't mean I didn't make a lot of stupid mistakes during those eight years. I still did. But it could have probably been a whole lot worse had I not had a praying mom praying this for me. What if you decided to pray this prayer for yourself? What if you decided to pray this for your children, your grandchildren, your spouse? What if you decided to, to get serious in praying this prayer in submission to God that you wanted to walk worthy of the Lord, that you wanted to live a life pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work? One final verse. I'm just going to throw it on the screen here if it pulls up. There it is, James 4, 7. James says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Once again, that living in submission. So dependence, submission, and now the third thing, godly living is living to glorify God. My battery must be getting dead. There we go. There. Perfect. <clears throat> Maybe I hit the wrong button. 
It is living to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now you're probably familiar with that verse. Whatever you do, eat, drink, do it what? All to the glory of God. That's the key word there, right? Everything I do, I should do to the glory of God. Eating, drinking, acting, saying, working, having fun. Everything should be done to the glory of God. So what does it mean to live my life glorifying God? It's a life that's pleasing to God. It's a life that's honoring to God before others. It's a life that's prioritizing Him above everything else. It's a life that's bringing honor to His name. If you wonder, is my life bringing honor to God? Ask some people around you, because they might be honest enough with you to tell you, hey, yeah, it is or it isn't. Maybe that's a kind of a hard question to ask. But every part of our life should be focused on giving glory to God instead of giving glory to ourselves, which we tend to want to do. So our dependence, our submission, our glorifying God, and then the fourth one, that I would say is foundational to godly living is living in a growing relationship with God. Living in a growing relationship with God. This is the part of that. If I have an intimate, growing, deepening relationship with Jesus because of the time I spend with him and his word, that's going to be foundational to living a godly life because I'm building a close relationship, a friendship, much deeper than a friendship, a brothership with my brother Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're growing in that relationship. I'm spending time in his word, learning more about the character of God and who he is. And as I grow in that, I'm gonna want to be dependent upon him. I'm gonna wanna submit my life to him. I'm gonna want to my life to glorify him in everything I do. Psalm 42, one through two says this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When's the last time your soul thirsts for God? When's the last time you panted for God? You had such a thirst for the things of God, the time with God and his word. That's what that intimate relationship is like, that deepening walk with Jesus. There are a lot of things that we can do to, to, to kind of position ourselves to live a godly life. But I think foundational to all the things that we might be able to do to position ourselves through maybe some, some good disciplines in our life, disciplines of our faith, it starts with that relationship, that intimacy, that walk with Christ that begins that process. So when we think about all these things that make up a godly life, I can't help but finding myself guilty of, again, times in my day when I can honestly say I gave no thought to God in my life or his will or submission to him or dependence on him or glorifying him in that moment. It was all about me. It was all about what I wanted to do. It was all about whatever I was going through or whatever my agenda was or whatever my plan was. And I'll be the first to raise my hand that I struggle with the sin of ungodliness in my life. And I hope that by now, it wouldn't take much prodding on anybody's part 
other than the Holy Spirit for you to recognize, yeah, I struggle at times with this sin of ungodliness too. And it truly is a, a root sin, I believe, because if God is not the center of my life, if God is not staying at the center, I'm going to be continually struggling with these other sins in my life. They're going to just keep popping in all over the place until God becomes the center of everything in my life. That's the foundation. That's the root of dealing with these sins. The truth is, and I've already said it, we all are guilty of living ungodly lives. The question is, how godly am I? How can we deal with the sin of ungodliness? We're going to wrap up here. I know it's getting late. How can we deal with our ungodliness? And I'm going to keep it real simple. Train yourself. Train yourself. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. There we go. My verses aren't popping up there. Train, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Even if it doesn't pop up, you can write it down. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That word train that Paul uses is the word that would be used with athletes in Paul's day. They would, that would be what they would do to practice to compete in the competition. And what goes into practicing for any athlete that's going to be competing? There's this discipline, there's this consistency, there's this rigor, there's this work that has to be done to prepare for the competition, right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, while there's some value to training yourself physically, yeah, that's okay to do that, but it pales in comparison to the training for godliness. And when's the last time you thought of yourself as training for godliness? When's the last time you thought, all right, I got to go work out at the, the gym to get God more godly today, the, the, the faith gym where I'm going to work out my spiritual muscles, my faith muscles. I'm going to get stronger in my walk with Christ. I need to train myself in that. We don't think that way a lot, unfortunately. But how intentional are you in training yourself for godliness? Because if you're going to deal with this first sin of ungodliness, it's going to take training on your part to deal with the sin of ungodliness. My own, some of my own personal training. I have committed to spend time first thing in the morning every day with God and his word. That's kind of like a non-negotiable for me, that that's part of that training. I, I enjoy physical training and I'm going to do that later, but I'm not going to do that until I've spent time spiritually training, spending time reading the word of God, meditating on the word of God and praying, communing with God. That's just part of that daily training that's going to be there. And it, it wasn't always a consistency in my life, but years ago, I just realized if I'm going to be growing in my walk with Christ, if I'm going to be growing in godliness, it's going to start with that, that aspect of training. I've got to spend time in, with God and his word every day. Another part of that training for me is spending time with other, with other brothers in Christ that I can have conversations with, spiritual conversations with and encouraging. And so whether it's an older mentor brother or somebody that I'm discipling or somebody that maybe is about where I am, I'm building those relationships because I know those are so important as part of my own spiritual training 
and spiritual growth in my life. I've got to have those relationships. And so what I wanna do as I end tonight is I wanna, I wanna leave you with a question. What are some things that you can do to take some next steps in training?